If someone asked you to name any of the primary concepts that separate Christianity from all other faiths, could you? Welcome to episode 28 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. In today's episode, George is leading us into a new chapter. In doing so, he'll be equipping you to answer the opening question and jumpstarting what we hope to be yet another fascinating discussion. Let's get to it. Here's George. Now we're going to turn to chapter 20 on the Trinity. In this chapter, we're going to look at the concept of Trinity, a concept easily discarded and only with great foolishness, I believe. However, note that I said concept. This will prove important as we seek to understand what Christians believe about the nature and character of God and how that is applied in their conduct in the church and in the world. By the way, this is one of the key issues that separates Christians and Jews, Christians and Muslims, Christians and Hindus, Christians and Buddhists, and Christians and fill-in-the-blank. It even separates some Christians and other Christians, though either side of that divide would claim the other wasn't actually Christian. So, after I set forth the normative and confessional concept of the Trinity within Orthodox Christian theology, then we'll go a step further and engage the issue of concept and ontology. Stay tuned. There's much to be revealed here in history and in how we think. Christians believe Scripture teaches that there is one God in three persons, not three gods in competition with each other, not one God operating in three modes, but rather, Christians believe that there are three persons who coexist eternally in an ending, loving relationship with one another, glorifying each other, edifying each other, working with and through each other. Yet we need to recognize that what we know about God and what we assert about this trinity of persons in one God is deduced from what is revealed to us in Scripture. That is, nowhere in either the Old or New Testament do we find an explicit statement that the nature of God is three persons in one God nor that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are of one substance, also a part of the normative definition of Trinity in Christian theology. So let's look first at what's revealed in Scripture. Remember the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with a couple of his followers shortly after the crucifixion and resurrection? He said this to them in Luke 24, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Greek of this passage actually begins something more like, you who don't perceive and whose hearts are slow to believe. 
And the scriptures referred to here are the Old Testament, because those were the only scriptures of Jesus and his followers. The writings of Moses that Jesus refers to are Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, known as the Torah in Hebrew. The prophets, Nevi'im in Hebrew, refers to Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, plus 12 minor prophets, shorter books. Jesus used passages from these scriptures to explain to these followers who and what the Messiah was foretold to be. That is, the Redeemer of Israel and all the world was spoken about in 1,500 years of biblical writings. And the events, signs, and sufferings of this coming Messiah were foretold there. Jesus showed them how he fulfilled these prophecies, and their eyes were opened. They now perceived what they had previously failed to perceive and believed what they had been slow of heart to believe. All well and good. Israel was yearning for a Messiah to free her, especially from the yoke of the Romans, and Messiah had been predicted. Jesus helped these two on the road to Emmaus understand that he fulfilled what had been foretold about Messiah. There have been many others who claim to be Messiah, even in Jesus' time. And the claim has been made repeatedly among the Jews and a number of Christian sects right down to our own day. Such a claim is not rejected out of hand by the Jews of Jesus' time or ours, and Messianic fever was and is common. The question is whether Jesus was and is the Messiah, or if it is someone else. Does Jesus qualify, according to the prophecies of the Old Testament? Without expanding on the point here, the simple answer is yes, and certainly as fully as any other who has claimed to be the Messiah. But whether Jesus is Messiah is not the key point of dispute over the issue of Trinity. Rather, it is, is Jesus God? And does God consist of three persons? Many Jews would accept the possibility that Jesus is the Messiah, but recoil from the claim that he is God. This seems like blasphemy to them. A man can't be God, and God can't be divided. So let's look at the issues. Consider this from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Hebrew, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. This is the first sentence of what's called the Shema. And religious Jews recite this every day. It is a declaration that God is indivisible, and there is nothing like him. He alone is God. This assertion immediately set ancient Jews apart from all of their neighbors who believed in numerous gods with various powers and areas of authority, a god of war, another of fertility, weather, harvest, sunlight, darkness, etc. But the Jews had one, 
just one God. Christianity arose as a Jewish sect, followers of a rabbi, Yeshua. Jesus is the Germanized version of his name. And his followers believed him to be the Jewish Messiah. It is in this context that Jesus and his followers arose, that is, as monotheists, as Jews, deeply dedicated to the concept that God is one, alone, singular, unique, and there is nothing like him or with him, that is, no other gods. God himself said, You shall have no other gods beside me, from Exodus 20. His followers were not to worship other gods, as did those of neighboring cultures. Neither Jesus nor his followers would abandon this foundational claim and identity. To do so would have been repugnant to them. Jesus himself quotes the Shema when asked what the greatest commandment is, this from Mark 12. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, that is, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first commandment of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this singularity of God seems firmly established. And the Jews of that time and this, and including Jesus and his followers, seem firmly committed to the singularity of God. It's there in the commandments. But if we look elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, we find that there are some things that lead us to question just what it is that's being so strongly affirmed. Is it about number or nature or uniqueness or otherness or what? There is much more to this question about the singularity, about the oneness, about the unity of God than is obvious on the surface. And we will begin to look both at references in Scripture and the ideas that they communicate to understand what it is that the Shema communicates, what it is that Jews believe, what it is that Jesus and his followers believe, and what it is that Christians, even Trinitarian Christians, should believe. And we'll do that in just a minute. Well, it's pretty commonly agreed that the concept of the Trinity is one of the most challenging to wrap our human finite minds around. Nonetheless, we're going to continue wrestling with this topic to see if we can get a better understanding of it, and more so how it separates our faith from other faiths found throughout the world today. All the material here is coming from the book called What We Believe and Why. So if you want to go back and take a look at some of the chapters and some of the insights into the Trinity, we encourage you to do that. We'll continue our discussion here in just a few moments. We hope you'll stay with us. 